0: Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast that explores the Dark Knight Library. I am your host, Ryan Lauer. You can follow the Batman Book Club on Twitter at TheBatmanBC for updates on the latest episodes, upcoming episodes, polls, and even an upcoming giveaway. You can also email for questions, comments, concerns, or anything Batman-related at all at TheBatmanBC at gmail.com. The Batman Book Club is also a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by BatmanOnFilm.com. And lastly, if you're a fan of the show, feel free to take a minute to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It'll help spread the word. And the word is panic. (laughs) Now, I'm excited for this episode because I am not alone, thankfully. Joining me is the comic encyclopedia himself. From Comics Now, it's Jay Yaws. Hello, Jay.
1: Hello, Ryan. Thank you for having me and for those uh, wonderful uh, superlatives as well. It uh, means (laughs) a lot, and I will hope to live up to
0: that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you will. You have nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. And I want to mention quickly, you and I have podcasted before once on the Batman Uh on Film podcast when we talked about the landmark issue of Detective Comics, issue
1: one thousand yeah that was a that was a fun episode it was funny because right before we started uh, recording here I was telling my wife about the show that I'm gonna be on uh, right now and everything and she's like so do you do you know this person and I was like yeah and and I'm pretty pretty sure that we've uh we've recorded together too <laughs> so uh, yeah it was just having that discussion with my wife so good times and uh glad to be here uh, talking about some more Batman
0: yeah it's always it's always a good time to talk about Batman and before we talk, About Batman. We're going to talk about Batman. So, I want to ask you, (laughs) as I ask everybody, what is Jay Yaws' favorite Batman story?
1: So, this is a loaded question, as I'm sure most people can attest to. I would love to be able to answer one story in particular that I could point to and say, this is everything Batman means in one tidy little package. But recently, a uh, friend of mine named Andrew um he kind of put into words something that i that i kind of had in my mind you know about batman for the longest time but couldn't really vocalize it's that batman means so many different things and can be so many different things and i appreciate so many different aspects of batman that it's hard to find one single story that i would point to as like my batman story i love you know the 60s adam west batman just as much as the dark knights and i love batman the animated series just as much as i love batman the brave and the bold so Mm -hmm. i mean just the fact that batman's so malleable a character and can work in just about any situation and still be batman makes it really really hard for me to just say Uh, it's not like Superman. I can name, you know, my top three favorite Superman stories definitively to say, if you want to know Superman, you know, read all-star Superman, the adventures of Superman number 38, I think it is, or Superman adventures number thirty eight. sorry. And, uh, Superman for all seasons, you know, those will get you Superman right there. Uh, but for Batman, I don't know. I mean, I, I have my favorites, but I don't know if I have my top favorites, Uh, Just because it kind of changes so much over time. I like to point to the Batman Adventures, which was Mm -hmm. one of the animated series uh, kind of spinoff comic. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was actually the last one they did in continuity before they started doing it may have been alongside uh, the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited comics as well. But it is is the last animated continuity comic series that they did for the longest time. It had just a lot of really great concepts and ideas that took the you know wonderful aesthetic of the animated series and by that point it had been you know the new Batman adventures as well. And it introduced a lot of characters that and ideas that weren't on the show itself i love from the uh 70s i love strange apparitions which i almost picked but i thought that might be a little too obvious of a pick for me so i wanted to go with something a little different but like the marshall and englehart run there i love that and uh Uh, really i think my favorite era of batman comics has come to be around the era that we're going to discuss tonight so uh sorry for giving you a really long non-answer there i mean i don't really have a favorite batman story
0: (laughs) so you were so worried about living up to that title of the comic encyclopedia and i think you've just settled it okay there is no debate (laughs) Your answer on what's the favorite Batman story? And uh yeah, you're you're good. You're good. Uh, that, uh okay, I wouldn't okay. I wouldn't expect for you to just come right out and be like, Favorite Batman stories, Dark Knight Returns. And then that was <laughs> it. I wouldn't I would have been a little disappointed. So you've given the fans what they want, something unique.
1: Although well, strange
0: apparitions would have been a solid choice.
1: Yes. Uh, and, uh, may even discuss a little bit of it as, uh, because I think one of the characters that, uh, is in this story was on the tail end of strange apparitions, uh, mm-hmm. uh a, a store, a, a story I do want to give a shout out for though. Um, in recent years, I think my ba- favorite Batman comic is, um, no lie, the, uh, Batman Elmer Fudd special. Uh, oh I thought gosh. that was brilliant. Far and away the best Batman thing that Tom King wrote in his entire run. Uh, I loved the Batman Elmer Fudd special. I I went into it expecting a joke, which, you know, it kind of is. But it was Mm -hmm. a genuinely good story, too. And fun enough, you know, it kind of touches on uh, some aspects of strange apparitions as well. So it all comes full circle. But yeah, (laughs) I loved the Batman Fudd story. We're just kind of seeing, like, how many things can somehow connect
0: to strange apparitions. All of them! <laughs> yes, as they should. <laughs> as they should. Yeah, so let's just hop to it. And I was not disappointed when I re- reached out and asked you if you'd like to be on, and you graciously said, yeah, Ryan, how much are you going to pay me? And then he you said he would do it for free. And you <laughs> I said... I said nothing about,
1: art. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> um, yeah, about I, the art. Nothing. Was... <laughs> yeah, I, I the, the, the,
0: was... We'll, we'll discuss that later. <laughs> Yeah, later, later. You said, give me some time to think about it. And I said, sure, absolutely. And I'm like, oh, he's going to pick a doozy. I hope he picks a doozy. And you did, as anybody can read in the title of this, this episode, it's called The Mud Pack. Now, The Mud Pack was a four-issue arc told in Detective Comics number 604 through 607 and written by Alan Grant and drawn by Norm Brayfogel. Now, I don't know what kind of fans listen to this show that may be like, oh, I instantly know what the mud pack is. And there may be some be like, I've never heard of that one. That's the joy of this show. Hopefully that people listening and myself, as I've done twice already, will get to explore new stories or reread old ones. Now, the mud pack. I am so glad that you chose this one. And before I go on my kick,
1: what made you pick the mud pack? So speaking of new stories, I had actually never read this before. (laughs) I'd heard great things about it for the longest time. Uh, Like I said, this has become one of my favorite eras of Batman comics, like the late 80s to the early 90s. Mm -hmm. I mean, even going into the mid 90s, you know, when you get into a lot of like, you know, Chuck Dixon writing literally everything, you know, this late 80s era here coming out of crisis a couple of years later, when the Batman books were starting to kind of find their way again. I've been anytime they come out, I've been devouring. uh, I think it's uh, like Dark Knight Detective and Caped Crusader collections, it, like one of them will collect the Batman store uh, issues from this era. Another will collect the Detective Comics issues from this era. So I become a huge fan of Grant and Brayfogle If I hadn't been already, I've, I've been enjoying them more. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I just never read this story. If it's been collected, it's not anything that's easily accessible as a collection. Uh, and therefore, I just I just never collected it. But funny enough, a couple of months ago, I went to my local comic shop and in uh, kind of the back room, they have a bunch of racks of paper. Uh, Either uh, notable issues of different comic books, you know, specially priced, like a back issue that you're not just going to throw into, you know, like a 50 cent bin or, you know, a regular back issue bin. Something that you're going to display that's mm-hmm. maybe going to be a little bit pricier uh, or collections of uh, maybe like a run or a story or something like that. Uh, they had all four issues of this arc just collected in one bag and board. And they had it marked at uh, $8. So I got all four (laughs) issues of this art for eight bucks. And it even still has the uh, two mini posters that come in issues 604 and 607. Uh, But I picked it up because I was like, you know, I I love this creative team. I love this uh, era. And uh, uh, I love Clayface. Clayface is one of my favorite Batman villains. Uh, and, uh, I'd heard great things about it, but never got around to it. So when you asked me to be on the show, I was like, you know, how about I, you know, take this opportunity to not use it as an excuse per se, but you know, I'll take this opportunity to finally read the mud pack and read it. I did. So um, motivation,
0: yeah. motivation to read something that you're like, it's not time, not time to read it yet. Not time to read it yet. The time will come and present itself and the Batman book club delivered. So there you go. Yes. The Batman uh, book club was the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved the choice for for multiple reasons, because number one is nostalgia. I grew up. I'm apologize if I've already said this before. In one of our episodes, I grew up in a small, small town. Uh, no comic book shop there was a spinner rack at the grocery store for a little while and then it was gone so i just couldn't get comics regularly and i relied on my my brother and i relied on my uncle who was a big comic uh collector like in the 90s and when he i don't know what age i was i was young but he had been buying multiple issues of comics of both batman and detective and he gave my brother and I big stacks of each. And, of course, I f- blew through mine, and then I blew through his, and his contained the mud pack. And I think what stood out so much from those was the covers. All four mm-hmm. of the covers, I think, are just awesome. Awesome, awesome. And the, the cover to the first issue of the arc of you know it's a batman made out of clay but a, a an arm and a knife coming down to strike him i remember that image distinctly in my brain of like oh my gosh some batman's clay face and something's gonna stab him oh my gosh and i was losing my mind and then another one that that stands out is the the third chapter of a ghost robin and batman in front yeah. of his grave that striking image as well because at that point I had so little exposure to to the history of Batman that even though Jason Todd had died just a couple years prior, like when I received, when I got these comics, he'd only died a couple years prior, but I didn't know that. So I was just like, why is Robin a ghost? And it was like scary and okay. spooky. So the mud pack just stands out to me as some of the earliest comics I remember ever getting. And secondly, I thank you because you were the first person to choose a story drawn by one of my favorite artists, Norm Brayfogle the king of batman artistry him and libra mayhill are my favorite artists i couldn't choose one over the other bray Fogel yeah, is it, just like awesome
1: bray Fogel and aparo for me like jim aparo draws yeah. what i think of when i think of batman but bray Fogel, i think draws batman comics the way i think of batman comics if that makes sense
0: yeah, absolutely, and Aparo's up there for me as well. Like he is right behind them. And I was reading actually an interview with Bray Fogel, as he he definitely credited of how much he loved Aparo's art, and he's like, I need to find a way to distinctly be like, you know, I need to be different from his. I can't just copy because he's so good, and that he was so appreciative of his writing partner Alan Grant. Also, fun fact because wasn't Alan Grant was. Sam yeah. Neal in Jurassic Park. Jurassic so I Park, thought, that yeah. like, <laughs> I thought he's writing comics because when you're like six, you have no idea. It it's all it's all real. But bray fogle loves Grant because Grant wrote in such a way that allowed him to be an artist and it's like the the freedom. And I think it just shows in all of their work together that this is just this was such a definitive team in Batman comics, you know, and the Mud Pack. I don't know where I'd put it because I have like I just can't think off the top of my head distinctive stories of like where would I put it, but it's just like the Mudpack is just a great clayface episode or story. So I'd like to just get into it. Let's just get into it. We don't we don't have to dissect yeah dissect every single panel of every single story, but maybe just highlight highlight each issue. And the first issue to relate it to, you know, I'm gonna let you say. How does the first issue
1: Relate to strange apparitions. So the tail end of strange apparitions uh, has an uh, an issue or two. Uh, I think about the third clayface, Preston Payne, who is just so weird. Uh, I mean, he's not anything like the uh, Basil Carlo. Clayface, which until I was reading this the other day, I completely forgot that Basil Carlo didn't actually have any sort of like clay powers or even disfigurement. He just wore a mask. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I like I've, I've read the like his first appearance and everything. It's just been so long. And I forgot that uh, even um, spoilers for, you know, a 65 year old comic or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Matt, Matt Hagen was dead. Uh, I mean, he uh, I'd completely forgotten he was out of the picture. But uh, Preston Payne, the uh, third clay face, uh, is a man that is actually contained in a sort of special suit that looks kind of like the uh, uh, like one of that old school Mr. Freeze costume that mm-hmm. uh, is like really, really bulky and uh, really colorful and not befitting Mr. Freeze at all. But uh, Preston Payne has uh Uh, like a toxic touch to where if he touches someone, then they will effectively get the affliction that he has and they'll just melt. Uh, But he's also a very tragic figure because uh, I'm not sure if it's related to, um, to getting the powers or, or or what have you, but um, he's also mentally unstable. And as, as we uh, see in strange apparitions, Uh, he, uh, had a quote unquote lady love that he spent time with in Arkham Asylum that was actually a, uh, department store mannequin, uh, that he had fallen in love with. And I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, a a funny concept on the surface, but I don't know. I mean, he's just so tragically written that you can't help feel bad for him. Uh, like Almost in some ways, he's a victim, and even in this story, he's he's not really an antagonist. In that he is one of the the masterminds of this evil plot, but he's he's a tool that's being used by somebody else, uh, which is which is j- just as tragic. So, um, uh, strange apparitions has a story about Preston Payne. And uh, we open up Detective Comics number 604 with Preston Payne in Arkham Asylum talking with uh, his lady love, who is named, let me uh, uh, pull it up here, uh, Helena. Helena. Unfortunately, Preston wants a divorce from Helena. And, um, you know, which again, this the, the whole thing's, you know, kind of funny on the surface. But then you see the security guards just laughing at him. and uh, and, and you kind of feel bad for the guy because he's... Clearly unwell, and he clearly Mm -hmm. needs to be in the asylum for treatment to be rehabilitated. So, uh, uh, yeah, I
0: I, feel bad for the guy. I wouldn't be surprised at all if the team behind Batman the Animated Series used... Said at some point this was a kind of an influence in their approach to villains for the animated series. Because I feel like this almost fits the trope perfectly in the sense of like, yes, he is the villain, but... And he's not a distinct I'm out here to conquer the world and evil intentions. It's like he's he's mentally unstable, yes, but he is he's used as a tool for somebody else and he's manipulated by somebody else. that person's the villain. And so we set the stage early, like you just went through in this of it kind of shows that he's his un, he's unstable. and then he's kind of he's trying to get out, but he's, you know there's something just not clicking on like there's only one way to put out the fires and only one way. And he ends up taking off his glove. And then, you know what, he, what's containing that burns one of the, or melts one of the security guards as he breaks out of, out of Arkham haunting. <laughs> I mean, drawn really well as Vogel mm-hmm. does haunting images. And that's quite a start for this story. Cause I haven't read this in a long time. So I, it was also good for me of like, I've read this before. I do not remember what happens really. So yeah. then even at some point when there's even mention of like, this is the, you know, there's, there's the third clay face. I'm like, wait, hold on a second. How many clay faces are there in total? Which ones, <laughs> what names? Basil Carlo. Matthew. Oh, okay. Yeah. Preston Payne's the third one. Okay. There we go. <laughs> yeah.
1: And um, what, what, what I liked about the story uh, overall is like I said, I'd never read this. I knew, I knew the idea in broad strokes, that mm-hmm. it was, you know, all all four clay faces up to that point uh, teamed up and wreaked havoc across Gotham, uh, but I didn't actually know what the story, the the actual plot was. So uh, starting off with Preston Payne. Getting out of Arkham and then from there on being, you know, manipulated and used by several other characters uh, was a was a pleasant surprise. Uh, not that I want to see a character do that, but I mean, it, it was an, a really interesting way to start off the story, and it grabbed my attention because, like I said, you know, I I, I I just find a lot of sympathy for this guy just for the way he's written. He's just such a weirdly tragic character. To your point about the animated series, I don't know if it was. A conscious decision if that was in their minds at all or if they even knew about this but some of the broad strokes of Payne's story could be seen in how they rewrote mr freeze's origin exactly that's what i was thinking uh, you know actually. A man, uh, a man, yeah uh, when you said that that's the first thing that came to mind i was like yeah I, I had never thought of it until then but uh yeah the you could definitely see that they took could have taken some inspiration from here uh, even even the way they handled clayface uh they kind of merged the um, couple of different characters from over the years because, you know, Matt Hagen in the comics was actually, I think, like a a treasure hunter or a burglar or something. And Basil Carlo was the one who's the actor. But in the the animated series, it was Matt Hagen, an actor. They kind of merged that there, and they they may have even sprinkled in some of Preston Payne's uh, uh, more more tragic trappings too. But yeah, I mean, it's, it was a great way to start this story, an unexpected way to start it. And I mean, again, this did not turn out the way I thought it was going to. So uh, I'm glad that it left me guessing right from the start. Yeah,
0: and we something that's done well a couple times in these four issues is. So immediately from there is a scene of Batman taking out some bad guys who are attacking a woman and he takes them out and then he takes off in he takes off in the Batmobile and in the in that panel of the Batmobile going one way the other way it's like it's almost like a handoff of we're following mm-hmm. Batman handoff and now we're going to follow this character that's in that panel as well which is a green coated man and did you have any idea who this
1: was before he was revealed uh, I mean, I've, I I kind of figured <laughs> who yeah, was going to okay. be just knowing what it was about. But I mean, th- this is an example of how comics really aren't written anymore. You know, having, uh, you could almost see it in a, t- uh, you know, playing out on screen on like a TV show, you know, having Batman, you know, beating all these thugs in a back alley uh, with some of that just absolutely wonderful Bray Fogle visual storytelling. And then, you know, peeling off in the Batmobile going one direction and you know it's like hey this is a batman story we're, we're gonna follow batman oh wait no we're not we're gonna go check out this guy in the green coat okay where, where's this going so i mean it's it it's really great um like like you you were talking about earlier how brave Fogel talked about how grant alan grant was as a writer mm-hmm this is a perfect example of how they worked well as a team it wasn't just the writer writing the dialogue and then the artist drawing the nice pictures it's they were telling a story together and mm-hmm. yeah that's that's just um, again uh, something that I, I almost didn't even you know pay much attention to when i was reading it you know like okay this is what grant and bray Fogel do but yeah uh, that kind of twist of seeing batman drive off but then focusing on a background uh character was just 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 great storytelling uh keeping you keeping things moving by having it go directions that you wouldn't expect and um uh and uh, i just love it sorry (laughs) no no that's fine
0: the other person in question that is basil carlo and to fit the fun theatrical gimmick the former actor goes to an abandoned theater where he is attacked or harassed by some men and they become his first victims of the story and what we're leading to. So there's two clay faces and we're supposed to include four. Huh? Then we jump back into Batman who gives us a quick, Hey, just in case you don't remember the origin of Preston Payne, here you go. Uh-huh. We catch back up to Preston now. And then the police are trying to take, trying to capture him, but they're distracted by this, this new character. Her name's Looker, and she apparently was with Batman and Batman and the Outsiders, but I've never read any of Batman and
1: the Outsiders, so I know nothing about this character. So I've read it, and I remembered her when I saw her. She was one of the last characters I expected to see in this story, (laughs) just because, I mean, when she showed up, I was like, is that Looker? What? So again, story going in places that I didn't expect, uh, and even now, it's not quite what it seems at at first sight because you know this isn't actually mm-hmm. looker it's uh it's the fourth Clayface uh who's a female and i don't even remember if she actually has a name uh, sandra fuller or, or lady oh, that's Clayface. Right. that's right lady Clay. Oh. for some reason i was thinking that she was never given a name but um uh, I forgot about that. I think she actually originated in uh, Suicide Squad too, or at least that's the first oh. time I ever read her. It was like a Suicide Squad book, but uh, but yeah, um, you find out that this is actually Lady Clayface, who can morph and transform in her appearance, but also can take on like these psychic abilities of the people that she that she mimics. So Looker can kind of influence people and. In, Her name is a truly horrendous pun on the fact that, yes, she is a look because she has a very um, unique costume that is um, revealing in certain places. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily have anything against the character. It's just I I was not expecting to see her in this story. Uh, But I, I ended up liking how they used her. So this time around... Since
0: I don't remember anything from the story, I'm kind of like, wait, what? What's going on here? And then she used, you know, used the powers. And then she doesn't pick, Preston Payne is passed out. She picks him up telekinetically or with her power and hauls him with her. as She walks away. And I'm kind of like, what? And it jumps then to Basil in the the theater as he's pouring clay into a bowl. And we kind of get a quick origin story there and then he he molds what's the the clay that's left over from matthew hagen so we're we're seeing now the assembly of okay clay face three at this point i didn't know who, that who looker really was and then that gets, gets revealed and then we have basil and then we have hagen it's like oh okay hey the mud pack would you look at that yes. it's all four of the clay faces are coming together why is yes. this <laughs> hmm, what's the plan what is the plan? And meanwhile, Batman's just, he's trying to track down what's the connection here. How He finds out that Preston escaped. Somebody took him. He goes back sees somebody. I know I said I wasn't going to go panel by panel, but this is the <laughs> first issue is crucial in planting the seeds for the story. And yes. he finds out that somebody, Preston had a visitor. It was Looker, real name Leah. I think L-I-A. I assume that was Leah. Somebody that he recognized. He's like, what was she doing helping bust him out? And the issue ends with us getting a... With Looker turning into Lady Clayface. For me, I had no idea what was going on. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's Clay. And then, oh, explains her powers. Oh, she's so special and crazy. And then Basil takes off his mask and he's, you know, Basil Carlo. In which this was, like you'd said, oh yeah, he didn't really have Clayface powers. Which becomes the whole point of the story, is that he's assembled the other Clayface characters together because he wants to, in a
1: sense, become the ultimate Clayface. Yeah, he wants to mix their different DNA together and inject himself with it so that he can gain the powers that they they have in his stead. Yeah, the the thing about Looker as well is I didn't piece things together that she was Lady Clayface at first because I honestly couldn't remember looker was a good guy or a bad guy <laughs> i remember <laughs> that she was in the outsider's book but i couldn't remember if she was a member of the team or if she was a villain so that was also something that you know kind of kind of took me by surprise there uh this all go on go on, into
0: well i was just gonna continue on and say t- well they there's something in common between her and batman in this story in that though carlo wants to become the ultimate clayface he doesn't reveal his plans too early he wants to first uh, set up batman and kind of turned gotham against him which he succeeds but also i don't think that they could have played with that arc or play with that plot point as much like they condensed it instead of expanding it you know because yeah
1: that could have that could have been the entire story by itself is just the clay faces banding together to commit crimes as Batman and uh, make him a wanted man. That that could have been its own story.
0: Yeah. So to catch up on that, Carlo talks him into, we need to set up Batman. How about you go and you rob a bank? One of you, Looker, you dress, or not Looker. See, I'm going to call it Looker all the time. Sandra <laughs> Fuller, Lady Clayface. You take on the appearance of Batman and then it will look like Batman has also robbed the bank with Preston and oh my gosh everybody needs to go out after batman i when reading the, or in yeah in reading that here i'm like oh that's kind of an interesting it's kind of an interesting plot point or you know part of a story and then it or that same page after that ends the real batman's in gordon's office in which somebody comes in and is like what batman you just robbed the bank and gordon's like no he's been here the whole time and it's kind of like oh okay well i guess i guess that's kind of it <laughs> it's it's wrapped up in the same page Okay, I mean, not enough that's yeah. nitpicky, I know, uh, but it's kind of like, oh, there, you didn't get to play with that as much as you really well, could.
1: I mean, even for a little bit, Batman's like, you know, don't say anything about me being here yet. Let's use this. Let's let, you know, uh, Carlo think that... Um, I'm oblivious to this and think that his plans working to hopefully catch them off guard. But but again, yeah, I mean, that that is something that I you will never find me saying that a uh, story is too long or too short if it's Uh uh, if the length is actually warranted. I do think a lot of modern comic stories are too long in the sense that they are written for the trade. Everything's a six part arc, you know, uh, things could be condensed down to three or four issues. Uh, So I'm glad that this is a, a story that um, is told in a shorter amount of time uh, than a lot of modern stories do. And even then it's, it's packed with information. It doesn't feel like there's a moment that's wasted or uh, anything that's just kind of spinning, spinning the wheels narratively speaking uh just to pad out the runtime so yeah i mean i am glad for the uh the relative brevity of the story but that is one of those aspects that they could have gone on with a little bit more like hey let's make them think that that we're not onto them yet let's let's uh you know i mean obviously uh don't let people get hurt or get endangered or anything but uh if they want us to think that they're framing Batman, let's let's let them think that they actually did, just so, you know, they can play into our hands and we'll be ready for them. It would have been nice to get a little more of that. I definitely agree.
0: Yeah, and it's definitely it doesn't hurt the story in any way whatsoever. They took their time for the main point in that issue one basically was because I mean, how easy could it have been for them in four pages for Basil to say like, okay, I got you all here. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to, today. and then it's like, okay. But they, they did take their time in that first issue to get you to where, oh, okay, this is what the mud pack is going to be about. This is just one small factor that it did feel like, oh, it's, it's not resolved per se, but, oh, they could, I feel like they could have had a little bit more fun with this. However, in the end for what each, where the story goes from here, it's, I didn't lose any sleep over it. I'm fine. And I'm I'm okay
1: with it. I'm not
0: upset at Alan and Norm. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. And, so, and honestly, that that's that's one thing I liked too is the fact that we don't get the entire plan laid out at the end of issue one. And then for the next three issues, we're just trying to figure out how everything is is supposed to piece together to get to the conclusion that they set forth for us in the first issue. Uh, we find out a lot of the story as it occurs. So I like that mm-hmm. it kind of builds over the four issues. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's kind of, that wasn't even much of an action
0: sequence, but between that action sequence and the next action sequence is some more good character work between the three clay faces back at, at the theater. And what I love is Batman, the world's greatest detective, he's just like, I need to think about what they're going to do next. You know what? I have a hunch. Let me go get a newspaper. Uh-huh. Ah, in the newspaper, it says it's casino night tonight.
1: I bet that's where they'll be. And I can't say he's
0: wrong, because they were there at the casino nights.
1: Yeah, I I love that that scene there where he just kind of reaches for the paper and startles the guy. Like I said, I bought these uh, single-issue, you know, issues... A couple months ago, uh, but I'm going through this on DC Universe to keep them pristine. But I did mm-hmm. open the package about 20 minutes ago to to <laughs> smell those floppies and they, they smelled <laughs> wonderful. Uh, but no, I love that where uh, this guy is like, you yeah, read all about it. Batman helps Clayface five injured, you know, peddling this this uh, this false story. Uh, mm-hmm. just to you know make a make a dime but batman takes it and then just drops him you know uh drops him a bill and tells him to keep the change that was pretty, pretty fun again one of those things that you don't see in modern comics nearly as much you know batman going around Gotham and interacting with the normal citizens of Gotham mm-hmm. city uh, i i just i just love that but um but yeah, yeah. i mean a, and a lot of it too is uh, to your point you know batman had a hunch and He's, you know, just playing it, you know, Batman makes mistakes and has to uh, think his way out of a lot of his situations and even has to rely on the help of others in this story. But he's not like a begrudging jerk about it either. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I was uh, it was another thing that's just refreshing to read, Uh, you know, Batman who, you know, would get uh, get overpowered by somebody who has some powers that could influence him who I mean, I know that victory is in the preparation and, you know, all that all that jazz and, Mm -hmm. you know, prep time Batman can take whomever and whatever but I mean what makes a story interesting is tension and drama and if uh, you know the entire time that Batman's under tied up and under somebody's spell or whatever he's really just waiting to break free that can get dull so it was uh, it was it was great to see Batman in uh, some situations that he didn't have a ready out for
0: yep and in that they kind of wasted I don't want to say wasted no time so I just said of how they wrapped up the whole oh Batman you know that's not really me sort of deal but what I mean in the next action sequence if you will is building on that where you have oh Batman now is there to face off with the fake Batman and this sequence I think is actually pretty
1: fun oh yeah totally where cuz uh, you, you you can always you, you can always tell which one is the evil Batman uh yeah. so I'm sh- I'm sure norm had fun drawing good batman versus evil batman
0: (laughs) yep yeah i think that's just that's fun and then i still poor preston that i feel a little bad when batman's fighting him and you know punching him and they fight but also what's he supposed to do but i'm glad that i did not have to wait a month between issues because i think they end issue two on a really good cliffhanger here where real Batman takes down fake Batman then focuses on Preston and then he hears somebody out of the panel say hey Bats save some for me huh and Batman turns around and then his face is just in full-on Norm Bray anguish of just no but then that's the end of the is- of the issue and I would have been like oh my gosh especially at that young age that I was mm-hmm. They have to be like, because a month is an eternity to wait and see what happens next. And they waste no time in hinting because then the cover of the next issue is the one I mentioned at the top of the show of the spirited Robin and Batman in front of the gravestone. And I want to focus on this for just a second because I think an exaggerated is not the word, but it's almost like this brave Vogel can really like stretch like emotion and images with like batman's cape and he he can be very like haunting with his images and i think this this is almost like that i can think of among his finest like covers that i've i think i've ever seen and i'm not trying to you know use hyperbole or anything i just really think because it's such a just like you can hear batman's moan and the ghost robin and all of that as he's kind of fading with the wind i just think this cover
1: is just incredible no i i completely agree and i mean exaggerated might be the right word uh, uh and i i mean i agree with that too because the way that norm pencils he he can do a you know keeping regular stock anatomy and proportions and you know do, do things like that you know as well as anybody mm-hmm. but he is not afraid to uh, just for the sake of um uh, you know a look of anguish like on batman's face at the end of a uh, issue 60 uh 605 uh mm-hmm. or even Robin's kind of a ghostly figure here on the cover of six zero six. He's not afraid to, you know, stretch a little bit or make things a little a little rubbery or a little kind of malleable with the anatomy to get the uh, the effect that he wants. And I think that's what makes a lot of his 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 action scenes and uh, just uh, just the way he lays out panels and, you know, covers in this instance just so memorable is he's not afraid to set aside realism for what works best for the the visual story he's trying to get across
0: Mm -hmm. he goes
1: full-on comic book and that's what us comic book readers want oh yeah exactly what we want Uh, because even in, a, a, you know, this uh, issue here, 606, when Batman and quote-unquote Robin are fighting, uh, you know, Robin's limbs are, like, incredibly long. And on that third panel on page two, his legs are kind of bent, you know, in, in a way that's a little exaggerated. Like, a, it's not using a lot of uh, um, hard edges or rough lines. It's a, it's almost like a... a st- single a single fluid uh pencil stroke just to uh just to illustrate his leg there to indicate that he's been swept off of his feet so i mean it's, it's just brilliant guys if if you don't love norm <laughs> brave Fogel, i don't i mean i don't know what to tell you i mean i'm not gonna uh, deride somebody's you know taste and everything but i mean the guy was a master master visual storyteller and oh, gosh i just I just love looking at his work so, and, so and this the, this story is a perfect example why
0: yeah so that's i mean that's actually where i was gonna hop to next was the uh quote unquote robin and his kicks and how that too can fit into the stretch slash exaggerated look that brave does in his work and it's totally effective and it works like this is it's just oh man it's just it's his distinct style and it's it works i've never i don't ever see it and think okay that looks a little too weird it's like oh my gosh it's just it's good it's good and we we get i think this is such a standout arc for brave Fogo because in this issue and the next we get such a variety of panels and drawings you know like yeah a bunch of different characters close-ups and an action not to mention the clayface characters and you know changing their their forms and then during the robin fight you got batman in the foreground and even though he's under a cowl bray fogel can always like manipulate the eyebrows underneath to form a look to where we see like the
1: anguish of batman nobody could do that better than norm
0: (laughs) yeah he was
1: so good at, at at batman's eyes
0: yeah it's so emotive on all of it and behind him is the quick two you know almost it's one panel but two quick scenes of what happened with robin what's in his brain and it's very effective it's different it's a different background in the foreground so it helps differentiate the two and then right after that is just like a i could almost hear it and i know that sounds like i'm just being so dramatic but the the panel right underneath that is the big slam of preston tackling him into a car and then just basically beats him up and knocks him out and it's just
1: like dang yeah and uh, that's yeah and that's so so cool too, seeing because we've been seeing lady clayface you know transforming into other characters but just seeing her you know let loose with like a Mr. Fantastic ish, you know, extended mm-hmm. arm to uh, uh, to punch uh Preston Payne a couple of times, uh, just mm-hmm. looks so cool too. And, and kind of like a like a tangent, I guess, or side note here is this came out in the summer of 1989. So, I mean, I was I was four then, I, <laughs> I didn't remember when the uh, you know, Batman movie came out, I was too young to. I'm sure see it in theaters, let alone know what was going on, but I am almost jealous of all the great Batman content that came out that summer because you got you know the the Tim Burton movie, you have this which came out you know within a month of the movie's release I believe, and uh, like I said I was flipping through the uh, single issues the physical copy. A minute ago at the end of I think this issue, uh, 606, there's an advertisement for A Lonely Place of Dying, which would kick off very very soon. So it's like there was so much good Batman content coming out around that time Mm -hmm. that I wish I could just go back and experience that with everybody anew because this is great. The the movie is just iconic and uh, uh, groundbreaking and a landmark of superhero cinema and cinema in general. And then you have, you know, A Lonely Place of Dying, which would introduce, uh, you know, my favorite Robin, pretty much everybody's favorite Robin, Tim Drake. Well, not everybody's, but, you know, a lot of people who Mm -hmm. run in our circles, you know, their favorite Robin. So this is just a great time to be a Batman fan uh, because, you know, it's always a good time to be a Batman fan. Uh, But here you could actually, you know, have have the proof to back up why you love it so much you could say go see the movie and then when you're done go buy detective comics off the stands and then a couple months later go buy some more you know comics to uh (laughs) to find out who the new robin's gonna be and oh my gosh it's just just so much great stuff coming out around this time i mean that's a lovely
0: tangent that you just went on (laughs) so i mean I, i don't think any of us that are in in that age range because yeah i'm I was born in fall of eighty six, so I wasn't that far behind you and I don't remember Batmania and I'm very jealous and I think it's been said by those who did experience it that two thousand eight, The Dark Knight, that was close. It didn't get it didn't match it, but that was kind of like our Batmania that we can our generation's Batmania that we can experience. And I'm like, Yeah man, that stuff that was awesome. And it was better in 89 yeah it
1: actually was i'm like man i'm jealous totally jealous but whatever yeah and the thing about 2008 too is batman had been part of pop culture for uh, as as a mainstay you know ever since the summer of 89 so even though the hype for that movie and even a lot of the comics coming around that time were just as great it's you know summer of 89 batman wasn't obscure but he wasn't you know the most popular superhero in the world but after that summer uh and ever since then uh, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who wouldn't admit that you know batman is more popular than just about anybody um
0: mm-hmm.
1: what one thing that i want to mention you brought it up is uh, a lot of norms really kind of bray fogel's like really kind of trippy I mean, like full page spreads where he does a lot of really weird and interesting uh, storytelling. Mm-hmm. And uh, on page uh, 14 of 606 here, they have a reference to the killing joke. And I don't know about the the continuity around that time or, you know, the time frame or anything. But I'm wondering if this is one of the first in continuity uh, Acknowledgements of the events of uh, the Killing Joke, with Joker shooting back uh, Barbara Gordon. Because for for a while that story was kind of in uh, just kind of in limbo, like uh, you know it's standalone, doesn't really attach to anything. It's more of a more of a think piece than anything than actual Batman uh, canon. Uh, but here, you know, there's you know a an explicit reference to Barbara Gordon being shot, which then of course would lead to her. Being introduced as Oracle and Suicide Squad, and then becoming Oracle, you know, later down the line. But wondering if this is one of the first times that it was actually referenced as uh, an incontinuity book. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought of that. And
0: to explain where that is in the story is, he gets Batman's basically. He's kidnapped once he's knocked out by Preston. he's kidnapped by Lady Clayface, who turns into an eagle, awesome, and carries <laughs> the two of them back to the theater where carlo wants to basically just torture batman and plays plays one of his one of his movies on the big screen while lady clayface gets in batman's mind and just messes with him on like his his horror and his memories which is a bunch of like crazy art and layouts going sifting through batman's memories and like the his Parents' murder, and then as you just said, of Barbara with the killing joke, and then like guilt with Jason Todd's death, and then Cornelius Stirk, which always a horrifying looking dude. Yeah, (laughs) and that's kind of how like that's where we're at in in that part, and that's where Carlo is starting to okay. We've got I'm getting the plan is proceeding. Drugs, Lady Clayface to knock her out, gets her blood, gets Preston's blood. And he's basically, we're
1: we're ending the issue where he's got what he needs to achieve his goal. And Look, Looker is also in the picture now because she was getting like psychic imprints almost of Lady Clayface using her powers. Uh, so she mm-hmm. had just kind of a feel, kind of like Batman was working on a hunch earlier. She just had a gut feeling that she needed to come to Gotham. Uh, so that's how she winds up there and um can uh can be part of the story properly uh on her own
0: yeah and this is another case of after the crazy mind mind trip that Batman of Batman that Bray Fogle gets to draw he gives us a sweet moment between because Preston wakes up and then Lady Clayface wakes up and they they both talk to each other and Bray Fogle again with his expressions works his you know his emotive facial expressions and like to such a good such good effect and then oh Preston and Sandra end up being in love and they kiss and I mean it's it's fun it's fun and then even what they do with like it's the end of the movie that's on the theater screen and they even do a heart around the two of them as they're kissing and it's just kind of like
1: it's just fun like
0: it's it's, it's
1: it's it's corny but it's not it's not afraid to be you know sincere about it either Uh, I really like that. Yeah, I like that. And then there's a moment earlier in that issue, too, that I kind of wanted to touch on, because, uh, you know, after Batman is taken away by Lady Clayface, we go back to Commissioner Gordon's office. And, uh, you know, this could have just been a throwaway scene that wasn't even necessary that, or or didn't necessarily need to be included rather. But, you know, he tells, uh, you know, he's thinking, you know, you know, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here because uh, I've scrolled on to the, uh, the final issue, but uh, at this point, but uh, um, you know, he thinks it's like, you know, even though he said to not reveal that he wasn't part of these crimes, uh, we're going to go ahead and do it. Because if for some reason uh, we can't save Batman if someone isn't there to help him. If he—if this is his last night living, I want him to go out as the man that he is, which is a hero. And that was just such a great little moment with Gordon. And, uh, you know, showing that, A, Gordon is has his own agency and has his own line of thoughts and motivations and everything to do things. He's not doing things just because you know, Batman is there to help it's, I mean, he's a good cop and he, he knows what to do in each situation and he'll, he'll work with Batman. But also if Batman says, let's do this, but it proves that that's not the best route to take after, you know, some unforeseen circumstances, Gordon's still willing to make, you know, decisions that, that will be beneficial for Batman, or Gordon himself or Gotham or the police force or anybody. So it's just a just a great little character moment with Gordon there that exemplifies that and his friendship with Batman too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. There's no there's no doubt on if this was like a, a newish reader, it's there's no doubt where Gordon and Batman stand. Right. And sometimes it's like it doesn't even take much. It's something that all of us fans like reading or seeing on screen or anything. It's just like though the camaraderie between the two. It can be done in a panel or two even. And so yeah, that's a that's and also I think Batman and Gordon's in Gordon's office just makes
1: me happy. Doesn't yeah. take much to mean, make me happy with Batman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. I mean it's and it's one of the one of those things that um, you know, just makes that that i love about this this era of comics especially like like i've been saying this whole time is it just makes gotham itself feel bigger and more alive and Mm -hmm. more more like an actual character in the story too because you have batman almost casually sitting in commissioner Gordon's office, you know, discussing a case. Um, Mm -hmm. And then somebody bursts in and then they find out some details about a crime. So that means like, Oh, well better go figure this out. And then, you know, he, you know, uh, takes, takes the paper from that newspaper uh, you know, the newsstand guy. And um, uh, even in this uh, uh, issue 607, um, you, you feel like this, um, like medical lab that they end up at. You know, jumping ahead a little bit here, but this medical lab, you, you get the feeling that there are living, breathing people that work there that have their own stories that we don't get to see, but they still, you know, feel like they are actual citizens of of the city, rather than just a plot point, just so that we could have an action beat or so somebody could. Get what they want, and then we can just move on. You know, it 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 just Mm -hmm. it just makes Gotham feel like an actual living, breathing world, and I love that.
0: Yep, absolutely demonstrated well throughout these these four issues. And to jump to another Brave Vogel bragging moment in the next issue is we see basically what Looker sees when she tracks down where Batman is, and she arrives and she enters his mind to see what he's. What's going on with him? And man, is that some trippy stuff? Uh, yes, like with all the, uh, oh, like like
1: the neurons and stuff. All yeah, like outlined, I was gonna say, like synapses, actions. blood vessels, something. Yeah, it's uh, but that. I mean, again, guys, if you can't tell, we love <laughs> Norm Brayfogle. But like this is, I mean, really where like where he really shines cuz that uh that sequence we were talking about in uh the issue prior where uh you know it was kind of going over batman's uh you know the things that haunt him instead of like regular just blocky panels that have you know just a just a a black line to uh, you know, kind of separate them from each other. Batman himself was kind of the—I don't know if like the tangent is the right word. I think they use that more in lettering with the uh, the word balloons and where they touch the the outline, but. You'd see Batman, like Batman's figure above somebody in his flashback. And then you'd see Batman below with his cape kind of billowing Mm -hmm. out. And that would mark off where that flashback ends and then below that. And sometimes even within Batman's uh, cowl and cape and everything, you would see something playing out. And I mean, it's just so imaginative and uh, just brilliant how... He leads the eye with that kind of stuff, and, uh, and and even even in this sequence that you're talking about here, uh, with all these, uh, you know, looks like a bunch of uh, neurons in somebody's brain, kind of outlining mm-hmm. uh, everything, and then you have scenes playing out in there. Uh, just such a just such a unique and great visual storytelling uh, device that he uses to j- j- just to make things stand out all the more.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it gets. It's kind of like I'm curious I would have liked to have seen what Alan Grant's script said. Norm, go nuts. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Or if he kind of said, "All right, we need a mixture of a bunch of," it looks almost like plain figures just all attacking Batman, and then we need to see some of like Scarface and uh, Catman is in there briefly, and like just start sprinkling all the sprinkling all these other random characters. It looks like Calendar Man old calendar man and phosphorus man like I'm, I'm seeing it now i didn't even notice before and all oh my gosh i can't
1: There's kill him rat catcher, catcher deadshot if we're talking about the same page i don't know we might be talking about a different bit no, I'm, I'm on page four of the last issue okay talking about the the one in the previous issue yeah which was also a great thing but i'll, I'll get to that later <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. <me>. um <laughs> uh but yeah i'm coming back so so yeah you've got uh Dr. Phosphorus, Calendar Man, Scarecrow, Killer Moth. Yeah, that's about all I can really make. Yeah. Oh, but then, yeah, Ventriloquist, Catman. Yeah, I mean, just a lot of really random characters that they threw in there. But, you know, it it's one of those things is great to see the depth of Batman's rogues gallery rather than the greatest hits all the time, too. Mm
0: hmm. Yep given given him, give him the spotlight to some of the others that's also
1: i fun. think i think it's a good way to say that even if you know a calendar man or you know a, a dr phosphorus or a cat man isn't quite the same level of threat to haunt him you know he he takes each this shows that even if they're not the same level of kind of the a-listers he treats every every threat to gotham as a serious threat because they're you know, with his whole mission of wanting to, uh, uh, you know, end crime, anyone who would stand in the way of that would be somebody that that opposes that. So um, he treats them seriously enough that that he's not dismissive of it. And even even joke characters to us like Killer Moth are still serious enough to Batman that that they they haunt him in his crusade, so to speak.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well put, well said. To wrap up, in a sense, just the mud pack is that Basil Carlo. He has everything he needs. We catch up to him with a doctor who basically injects him with everything to finally turn him into Clayface, and we have this epic battle where guess what? Norm Bravefogo again gets to go nuts, okay. and he has so many panels with such a variety of figures and action beats, and of course, this is. This is Clayface Unleashed, so yet again he also has the stretch Armstrong arm and he's knocking over stuff. His face is all sorts of messed up and he's like drastically above Batman choking him out and it's just it's a really cool and it's not like one page
1: fights over. It's it's a lengthy battle. It's it's the, the a good majority of the issue. It's a good 6 or 7 pages this whole uh, this whole fight scene.
0: And I think that can,
1: that only helps
0: in, so it's six or seven pages, and then there's at least one, two, three, like five panels on each page. And it's, the layout is, is unique too. And I know, I, I think I keep saying layout, but I think that really benefits Brave Vogel's art too. Cause it, if there's a lot of, if it's just one page, flip it, one panel, flip it, one panel okay, okay, but this is just, like, it's so quick that it's demonstrating the action. It's, like, it's yeah, a, it, this is a great storyboard for a Batman fight
1: in a movie. A good, storyboard's a good way to put it. I was going to say it's it's a, it's a, an actual sequence. It's not just, hey, let's look at some really cool, uh, you know, pin-up-worthy uh, uh, splash pages, which are cool when they're used effectively, but it's, it's also just using the comic book page to... To draw our eye from panel to panel, to uh, to imitate you know a sense of movement and make it make it feel like this fight is really happening. And and what's funny is you know we were talking about earlier Bray Fogle using uh, you know some unique. Uh, layout choices and you know uh, imagery for his borders and everything in those dream sequences Uh, Mm -hmm. this is relatively straightforward from a comic book storytelling uh, aspect and perspective in that you know he's using standard you know blocked out uh, layouts and panels and everything but they're a bunch of different shapes and sizes too like one page will be you know rectangular and square uh, like on page 14 of the digital issue, at least here. Mm-hmm. But then page 15, they start to get, you know, more like uh, more different geometric shapes, like even even triangles and diamonds and like all this stuff. So it's it's just really cool the way that he plays with the visuals here to, you know, make maybe one image stand out Against another like I like this one here on um, on page 17, where uh, we see Batman looking at Carlo standing over a looker in kind of a smaller quadrilateral shape. But then the next one, uh, the next panel is from everything's from behind them. But in the next panel, everything from is (laughs) is from in front of them. So you can see Batman lunging at Carlo. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, just a, a great great way to use perspective just to just to make things visually interesting the whole time
0: yep basically batman and looker they devise the only way that we're going to be able to beat him is to just basically overload him and so looker gets in his gets in his mind knock him out the window and he's such a hot mess that carlo Literally. just burns <laughs> <laughs> burns through the earth and just keeps going and keeps going. And so to them, it almost seems as if that is the end for now. And then, how do we end this story? Uh, with Preston and Sandra on a hilltop smooching. Such a happy yep. ending.
1: It is such a happy ending, such a weird ending to a, a weird story, but it's great. I love it. I mean, I, I'm 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 genuinely glad they got a happy ending there.
0: Yep, absolutely. Um, and that is the mud pack. So ending questions for you, sir. Number one, what out of this the four issues?
1: What was your favorite part? That's a good question. <laughs> I was even thinking about it early throughout the day after you uh, posed that to me. Uh, I think the funniest part, um, if, if you'll notice, dear listeners, that Matt Hagen barely comes up because Basil Carlo tries to resurrect him but is unsuccessful. So he pretty much dismisses him and says, well, I guess Matt Hagen's going to be sitting this out And at first, I I honestly was a little disappointed because I was like, you know, I want to read a story about, you know, the four clay faces coming together. So uh, with one of them, you know, out of commission the entire time and not actually taking a part in it. Uh, I was a little bit upset, just well, maybe not upset, but a, l- a little, a little disappointed, a little deflated. But then the fact that he spends most of the story propped up with a spoon, I thought was absolutely hysterical, <laughs> and laughed every time I saw it. Uh, but he also has a part to play because uh, Looker is able to use some of the psychic imprint on him to find Carlo and. Uh, uh fuller later on uh but i mean from a comedy standpoint i like that but uh like i said i mean I, I mean other than just the you know the brilliant storytelling visually and you know written i mean i liked some of the smaller moments i, I mean i really liked the the twist with uh Clayface's three and four you know falling in love with each other um, and even that little moment with gordon where he acknowledges you know even if uh uh, even if this is Batman's last night, he'll go out as the hero that he is. I just liked—I uh, I liked little moments like that because it's those smaller moments that make the big moments have more of an impact because they're the ones that get you involved with the story and with the characters. And you know, without that, you know, it might be a fun action comic, but it doesn't have a lot of depth. But it's—it's uh, yeah. it's the little things that give things depth here. So. I really liked those those little moments there. That's a good good choice. Good choice, I say. <laughs> Thank
0: and it, you. It, it makes sense. It makes total sense. Now, for me, I'm going to cheat. Whereas usually in every time I ask somebody, I don't know, I've got one thing that stands out. But for me, it's got to be the end of the second issue, beginning of the third issue of the fight outside of the casino. I really like how that starts off strong of Batman fighting Batman, and then he fights Preston. The tease because somebody else is calling for Batman, and then it ends up being the Robin. Total mind manipulation there, and I, I think that whole that whole little scene plays out well. I just I really like on different levels, like that just plays out well between the action and the motion and and stuff. I like that part a
1: lot. No, absolutely great choice. Secondly, do you have a favorite panel? I'm going to cheat on this because <laughs> it's it's not a single panel uh, per se. The uh, the ones that really stick out to me that uh, I kind of I kind of brought up earlier was, um, uh, first one is in issue 604. It's just page eight. Uh, it's part of that wordless uh, action scene where you know Batman's fighting those thugs in the back alley. Um, Mm -hmm. And then on uh, page eight in particular, you see uh, one of the thugs looking around himself to see his uh, uh, his pals have already been uh, taken out. And uh, then he runs away in fear and Batman picks up a chain and starts twirling it. But he sees the bat symbol in the sky uh, and looks at it and then uh, throws the chain to incapacitate the guy and then drives off in the Batmobile again. Just phenomenal phenomenal visual storytelling you know exactly what's going on in the mind of the of the criminal there you know Mm -hmm. what's going on in batman's mind you even know what's going on in the mind of the uh uh, the lady that batman rescued from these guys Mm -hmm. um it's just amazing storytelling without other than some sound effects without a single word on the page so i love that but then in uh, issue 606 uh, just as a great example of the the way that Bray Fogle could use an entire page to tell a story was uh, uh, page nineteen when they're they're kind of going through Batman's memories and what haunts him, and you see an image of him swinging, but then there's the Joker's giant face, and then ha 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 all around. Uh, all around the page, but then um, further down the page, you have Batman being overtaken by a bunch of his uh, most, you know, the most notorious villains this is a rogues gallery. You've got Ratcatcher at his leg and then you see Deadshot and Killer Moth, then Riddler and Rachel Ghoul and Scarecrow, Killer Croc. I think that's the Tarantula is that guy's name. I'm not sure. But then Two-Face, and I think that's Dr. Phosphorus and the Penguin. And then in the lower right corner, you just see Batman huddled down, like almost in the fetal position, just with his cape draped over him like he's just... Absolutely broken, and uh, just can't move on. I mean, it's just a brilliantly realized and illustrated page that looks really cool, but also tells a a, a story that that they're trying to tell with the visuals here, along with the uh, the narration. So there you go. My pick for my favorite panels of the story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to jump right on that
0: one because I even took a screenshot because I too read it off of DC Universe and page 19 of 606 that you just described in depth (laughs) i have nothing else to add other it's just like a splash page of you know the a-list rogues and then some b-list rogues just spread out and yeah everything the ha 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 and the scary joker and then batman and the all curled up and it's just oh man what a what a page and what a talent by of Norm Breifogle and everything every you know what
1: every page in this book pretty much my goodness. There, there's, there's not a wasted panel in this entire story. There's not. Nope. He takes full advantage.
0: A list all star talent there. So hey, that's the Mud Pack. Jay Yaws, thanks for
1: choosing the Mud Pack. Gave me yeah, a reason thanks. to reread it. <laughs> yeah. Th- thanks. Thanks for asking me and, and giving me. I mean, the story itself is reason enough to read it, but thanks for giving me the motivation to finally read it. Mm -hmm. Do you you have any last thoughts, last comments on the mud pack before we wrap this Uh, baby up? uh, I mean, like I said, just in general, like this this whole era of Batman comics was great. You had Grant and Brayfogle over here doing great work. Uh, and then over on, I think, the Batman title, uh, Alan Davis, I think, was the penciler around this time. And I can't remember who was writing around around that time it may have still been been Doug Mensch, but I don't quite remember. But even then, I mean, still uh, great, just great creative teams on those uh, on on those books all around. Uh, other than the fact that this is a four part story, a lot of the um, issues that you'll run across from this era are uh, just great one-and-done issues that tell an entire story within, you know, 22 pages. So if you read five or six of them in a row, even though you're reading the same number of issues as like a modern six-part arc, it feels like you're getting more Batman comics for your money because you're getting more stories in that time, in, in those six issues. I just love that. I love that uh uh just how like again, how Batman, even though this was after Jason died and he's wrecked by guilt, he's still he's still very human and he's still you know, recognizes, um, even though he thinks he works best alone, he still recognizes when he needs help. And, um, you know, just a lot of great character growth for Batman during this time. And, uh, and, uh, I mean, like I, like I said earlier in my tangent, it's, it's a time that I kind of wish I could go back to an experience with everybody else just because this was a great time for Batman in general. So yeah, I'm glad, uh, glad I was able to visit this glad I found these, uh, single issues at my comic shop and uh, i'll snap a uh, snap a picture of the uh, posters and uh, send it to you because uh they look absolutely gorgeous <laughs> Ooh, please do please do and i echo all of your
0: statements on on the story and yes alan grant is a good writer but this was just basically letting an artist go nuts and display all of his all of his skills, all of his talent, because there's no wasted panel, there's no wasted page. This is a all four issues, just a really in, creative display of Norm Bray Fogle. and I just think it's mm-hmm. it's a great. On top of the story being fun and a fun comic book story, it's just a, a collection of some of Bray Fogel's best and it most
1: inventive work. So uh, track it down around the time. I I think this is around the time he was, uh, uh, if not getting started, he was still a fairly fresh face, I believe. So, you know, he went, you know, did nothing but improve, but he started off on a pretty great, great foot. Uh, if this is some of his early work.
0: Yep. Hey, as right before we wrap is, uh, where can people
1: follow you? Find out what you're up to. Yeah, you can um, follow me personally, like on Twitter, at uh, J-A-Y-A-W-S. And uh, like Ryan said at the top of the show, uh, I have my own podcast and website called Comics Now. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram both at Comics Nowcast. Our website is comics-now.com. Do like you know, pretty much daily news releases, reviews. Uh, that's where we host our podcast, Comics Now Podcast. Uh, taking a little bit of a hiatus, sabbatical. Just uh, both of us, uh, Brian and I. Brian's my colleague. Uh, And a co-owner of the site there. Uh, Taking a little bit of a podcast break right now. uh, So we might not have new episodes for a little bit. But uh, just today, I mean, when we're recording this, posted an interview with uh, the writers of Primer. Which is a wonderful DC Comics, uh, all ages graphic novel. So, check that out. If you don't mind me plugging, uh, we're on Patreon. You know, we uh, uh, just to help keep the lights on and get some bonus content in return, uh, you know, we're on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash comics now. But yeah, uh, just uh, on Twitter, uh, on my personal handle, I mostly tweet, interact with people, and tweet comic y stuff. And then the comics now uh handle is you know also tweeting a bunch of uh uh our 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 posts from the website and a bunch of other uh, uh comic booky posts so if that's uh what you're into which if you're listening to this show I would assume it would be uh yeah yeah uh, give us a follow if you don't mind
0: yeah so yeah we're taking a little bit of a break um a breather from podcasting. Hey, Jay, you want to be on the Batman Book Club? Come on, let's go podcast, you know? Let's, let's do well, this. Well, so.
1: <laughs> we decided this just a couple of days ago, but this had been scheduled <laughs> in oh, advance. So, uh, yeah. Just barely yeah, made no, it. No, no, no. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. This is not been grudging. <laughs> this is, uh, I'm going to record. Uh, oh, I'm also, uh, Rob Myers and I also have uh, Everyone Loves Young Justice, uh, mm. a uh, kind of spinoff uh, show of Everyone Loves the Drake. Uh, we're going to record a couple of episodes this week to go back to the 98 series and uh, possibly the latest issue of, uh, um, you know, the newer Brian Michael Bendis run as well. So so we're going to get a couple of episodes of that in the can, too. So, uh, yeah, follow us over there as well. Everyone loves Young Justice. I'm busy,
0: busy man. Well, like I said at the top of the show, you can follow the Batman Book Club on Twitter to keep up to date with new episodes when they drop, upcoming episodes, polls that I try to do about a day or two after the release of every of every new episode. You can follow at the Batman BC. You can also write for questions, comments, concerns, or you, anything Batman at all at thebatmanbc at gmail.com. And I didn't mention at the top of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at Lauer underscore Ryan, Lauer spelled like lower. So again, thank you, Jay Yaws, for coming on the show, and we will be talking to you next time.